Today's lesson is written in Matthew chapter 9. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. Well, happy Labor Day weekend, everyone. And again, thank you for being here. So glad you're here uh, for worship. And uh, I hope you're having a great weekend. I hope you're enjoying uh, this uh, extended weekend. Uh, we are at a rare weekend at Alleluia with the messages. Uh, we're, we just finished a sermon series last week called God's Love Is, and we were finishing the sentence each week with Scripture. Uh, you know, what, what is God's love? And filling in the rest of that sentence each weekend. The next weekend, as mentioned, we're starting a new series called the Alleluia Playbook. So we're going to hope, we're going to really encourage you to be here for that. It's going to be an exciting weekend of worship. Um, but before we get there next weekend, we're sort of in this middle ground. So what are, we, what are we doing on this Labor Day weekend? Well, we're going to talk about this text. Hope you have a Bible. Uh, and we're going to um, talk about the theme, God's laborers. Labor Day weekend, God's laborers. See what I did here? Sometimes you trip over some things online, and they're really fun and helpful. I think um, every year we get away from the origins of Labor Day. It's important to remember what Labor Day is all about. So sometimes online we trip over these things, little videos and things. I'm a visual learner mostly, so maybe you are. Let's take a look at this video. It's a couple minutes long. It's really cool. It helps us uh, visually understand a little bit about the history of Labor Day if you've forgotten about it. Simple Show explains... Labor Day. It all started in the 19th century. Overworked and exhausted laborers were fed up and demanded better treatment. In Canada, laborers marched to their prime minister's doorstep and asked for their right to form unions. Oh, Canada. The march was victorious. They celebrated better working conditions with an annual parade. Peter J. McGuire, an American labor leader, was invited and thought to bring that spirit to America. And what a success it was. In New York City, protesters assembled to fight against poor labor conditions. The movement quickly spread across America. Workers gathered for picnics, concerts, and speeches, rallying for eight-hour workdays and a labor holiday. Oregon was the first state to officially recognize the holiday. But it wasn't until 12,000 government forces were sent to quell a strike and two railway workers were tragically killed that pressure mounted from the American workforce and Labor Day was put on the federal calendar. More than 80 countries worldwide celebrate Labor Day or International Workers' Day on May 1st. But the first Monday of September made sense for Americans because it falls between Independence Day and Thanksgiving. This gives working families a much-needed break. Fast forward about 100 years, and the Labor Day holiday has become a kind of farewell to summer. In the USA, kids go back to school, football season starts, and fashionistas hang up that little white dress. But let's not forget that Labor Day is a celebration of the labor movement, dedicated to the social and economic achievements of workers all over the world. 
It's evolved into an appreciation of life and well-deserved break from work. So make sure to enjoy your Labor Day with family and friends. Yeah, I thought that was pretty good. And it's good to remember that on this Labor Day weekend as we're celebrating, maybe taking some time off tomorrow from our labors. Um, and uh, I, the line of farewell to summer, I think we can all connect with that uh, as Labor Day weekend kind of is that for us. Um, how many of you have ever gone to any part of uh, the last fling in Naperville over the years? Anyone gone to that, the parade, or been in the parade or anything? Um, this was our, in 2011, we moved here uh, about this time of year, and uh, had moved here from Minnesota, and our family got uh, sort of initiated into the community with this event. Uh, uh, family from Alleluia doesn't need to be named. There's no reason to do that. So the Henneke family met us here, and we had a great time. Our, we watched the parade and the band and everything, and then we went down to the Midway. And I remember this vividly because Panda Express was giving out free samples of orange chicken. And they were, they were just a mall Chinese thing at the time, and they were going to start opening restaurants all around. And uh, they had these orange chicken samples on uh, toothpicks, and I took one. And now, eight years later and 20 more pounds, uh, I just thought I'd share that memory with you. But anyways, it is a fun weekend to do things and, and celebrate, maybe cook out and do these kinds of things. It is a farewell to summer, but it's a celebration. The thing in that video I really liked was the line, celebration of the labor movement and, mem and remembering. Remembering the generations that have gone before us who have built the infrastructures of our cities and our nation. Pausing to thank God on this weekend as people of faith for the people who generations before us worked so hard. Can you imagine 12-hour days, seven days a week without a holiday ever? And we also want to say thank you to those of you in the labor force now. Those of you working so hard to keep our uh, nation moving, our economy moving. Thanks for all you do. And the, the, the retired folks here today, thank you for all of the hard work you've done in your lifetime to, to uh, make things work for us. This is a really awesome weekend, and I think we should pause and give God thanks for, for all the laborers. I mentioned the nation a little bit ago. There is another kingdom that we want to think about this morning, the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God, like any other uh, group, like any other organization, like any other movement, needs laborers. The kingdom of God needs God's laborers to expand and grow Christianity, you may not know this, is growing. There are 2.5 billion Christians in the world. And it's becoming a southern hemisphere thing. The, the greatest expansion is happening in Africa. The Christian movement is exploding. And it's important for us to remember that God needs laborers in the kingdom. And our text points us to that today. So would you join me back in Matthew chapter 9? Let's look at these verses. There's only four verses here, but man, is there a lot in here to think about. So let's look at verse 35. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, and he did three things. 
The first thing we read is Jesus taught. So the first thing Jesus did was teach. He would go from town to town. He would be uh, brought into synagogues, and word about him was spreading, and he was this incredible teacher, and he would go to the place where they would read the Holy Scriptures, which was, at the time was the Old Testament only, and he would teach on it. And one particular day in the synagogue, an attendant handed him a scroll from the Old Testament prophet of Isaiah. And Jesus took the scroll and he read it and it was a prophecy about him. It was written five or six hundred years before he was even born. And he read the prophecy about him, he rolled it up, he handed it back to the attendant and he looked at the people in the synagogue. Now picture you're sitting out there, ready? And here's what he said if you don't know. He looked out at the people sitting there and he said, today in your hearing, this scripture has been fulfilled. Whoa! And some people going, what? Today in your hearing, this scripture, this prophecy about the promised Christ, the promised Messiah who will come from God, has now in your hearing me read this, been fulfilled. Paraphrase, I'm here. I'm him. First thing he did was teach in the synagogues. The second thing he did was proclaim the good news. Let's go back to the text. Teaching in their synagogues, still in 35. The second thing, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. Jesus proclaimed the good news wherever he went. Sometimes it was in the temple court. Sometimes it was in someone's home. Sometimes it was walking along the road. Sometimes it was on the mountain. And I want to commission to you today, if you're looking for a new place to go in Scripture, I want to commission to you Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount, which blends his teaching and proclaiming the good news, all in these three powerful chapters in Matthew, where the greatest words ever spoken out of anyone's mouth in the history of humankind were spoken. No greater words have ever come out of the mouth of anyone. I commission it to you, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, just a few chapters prior to today's text. And you will read, and you will hear Jesus say things like, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. When you pray, pray like this, our Father in heaven, Holy is your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When someone strikes you on one cheek, turn the other. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. And so on, and so on, and so on. Wherever he went from towns to villages, he would do these two things. He would teach in the synagogues. He would proclaim the good news. Good news in this text. Um, the Greek would be gospel. The breakdown of that word, the two words in there, the Old English, God is good, and spell is story. Those of you who know your 70s musical rock operas know about God's spell. Um, the rest of you are looking at me like, what was that? But um, it was a cool kind of thing. But the, but the word gospel, good story, good news. Jesus was proclaiming the good news of God's love for the world everywhere he went. 
The last thing in that one verse, after proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. That's the third thing he did. Wherever he went, he would heal. Think about it for one second. God in flesh, God's son in human form, wherever he would see brokenness and illness, it was his heart to heal. You see, the kingdom of God was fulfilled. The promise of the Messiah was fulfilled in Jesus. So wherever he went, when he saw illnesses, we read in the Gospels, he healed people. It was a glimpse of heaven. Heaven had come down, and wherever God saw this brokenness, he would heal it. And we in our lives go, man, why can't everyone be healed now? And that's a whole other sermon series, and that's a whole other thing. But wherever Jesus went, not everyone in the town was healed. People who came out to him, people who asked him, people he encountered, people he touched, people who touched him, yes, we read that they were, but not everyone. It was a glimpse of what we read in the last book in our Bibles in Revelation where we learn that in heaven there will be no more crying, no more pain, no more suffering, no more death. God himself will be with us. And in the text... Wherever Jesus went in the gospel's healing, God was doing that. It's a glimpse of heaven, eternal life to come, where no one will ever need healing again. And these are the three things he did. So to summarize, Jesus' three-year ministry on earth, the first thing, read it out loud with me, here we go. Teaching God's word, read the next one with me. Proclaiming the good news, the next one again. Healing people. Let's read them top to bottom one more time. Here we go. Teaching God's word, proclaiming the good news, healing people. And all these three things are in one verse in Matthew 9 today. And all these three things he was doing throughout those three years were going to a cross. This was his earthly ministry on his way to do the one thing he was sent to do. His death on a cross was not a random accident. It was God's plan for him when he sent him. And he died there for your sins and mine. He paid the price for our sins we could never pay ourselves. We can't be good enough. We can't please God enough. In fact, just the opposite. And so that's why Jesus died on a cross for you. That's the good news. And that's what he did. Back to the text, Matthew 9, 36 and 37. When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. That was God's heart because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. I share this story on a regular basis, and I'm going to do it again. How many of you have watched football this weekend at any level? High school, college, how many of you are going to watch the soon-to-be Super Bowl Chicago Bears on Thursday night, the Super Bowl champs? How many of you are going to be watching them on Thursday? Yes, this is going down. This is that time. This is Labor Day weekend. Some of you have blurry eyes because the only thing you had yesterday was a TV and a remote, and you were watching college football day long. I mean, some of you, I get it. The harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few, and here's the illustration. 
Picture a football stadium. Let's go college, pro. There's 70,000 people in the stands watching, cheering. At any given time of the game, there are only 22 people on the field doing all the work. 70,000 people, a lot of whom could use a little exercise, watching 22 do it all. And sadly, as we think about this verse, sometimes, not always, this is a good metaphor for the church. Not just hallelujah, but any church. There are so many people watching, cheering on the few that are doing everything. Hey, thanks for giving a lot more than we do. Hey, thanks for volunteering with the kids, because I don't. Hey, thanks for doing that mission thing, because, you know, I had a thing. We're cheering you on. Keep it up. And these 22 people are frying, because they're doing it all. The harvest is plentiful. Jesus doesn't, he, he says this, we can't miss what he means. He's not talking about wheat. He's talking about people, the harvest of people to know the gospel, to know God's love, to inherit the kingdom of heaven, to live in grace and hope. This is the harvest we're to be about, but the laborers, the workers are few. Now I know as you look around on a Sunday, on Labor Day Sunday, you know, you're thinking, wow, we're not that big of a church, are we? Yeah, we are. We have 2,000 members here. We're big, comparatively speaking. Barna Research just came out. Half of the churches in America, think about this for one second. Half of the churches in America have less than 100 members. The harvest here in our church family is plentiful. There's people around this building we're sitting in right now who need the love and hope of Jesus Christ. But the laborers are few. And so we're going to get together this fall. We're going to talk about the Hallelujah Playbook when we launch our new series next weekend. We're going to get going together. The team is going to rally. We're going to encourage you, stir you to get in the game. Get out of the stands. Get on the field. Be a worker, a laborer in the harvest, not for your glory, not for our church's glory, but for the glory and sake of Jesus Christ. And to be about the things that Jesus was about during his earthly ministry. So, look at verse 38. Let's finish. How do we do this, Jesus? Well, he gives you the answer right here. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Ask God. Pray. When we pray, sometimes we get what we ask for. God has three answers to prayer. Yes, no, wait. If you're like me, you do not like the last one. Ask the Lord. Ask the Lord. 
a uh, substitute Sunday school teacher couldn't get into the supply cabinet. There was a combination lock, and she was told what it was. She got to the first number, thought maybe she had the second number, knew she didn't have a clue for the third number, summoned the pastor. Pastor comes in, goes to the closet, uh, starts talking, says the first number, looks at the second number. He pauses. He looks up, and he goes, and he says something. And then he goes to the third number, pop, unlocks it, substitute Sunday school teacher, looks at the pastor and says, wow, I really admire your prayer life and your faith. He goes, oh, actually the combination numbers are written up on the ceiling there. But all kidding aside, when we pray from our hearts, when we get on our knees and we ask God of the harvest to send laborers out, God will provide. Every week at this church in my prayer life, I pray for God to deliver new leaders. And some of you are sitting out there right now. Someone to be a laborer, a worker in the harvest, to go out and do the things Jesus was doing for his sake. I pray that God will call a new laborer into the harvest with our youth to volunteer. I pray that God will call a new laborer into the harvest of our missions ministries. I pray that God will call a new laborer into the harvest to facilitate a connect group for adults to grow in faith together and to do life together. And without shame, I pray that God will call a new laborer into the harvest to be a stewardship leader here, to step up and freely give what God has first so freely given to you. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send laborers Let's do that. Let's pray. Lord, we give you thanks for the gift of this family of faith, which is part of your greater kingdom. In this family of faith, Lord, we are blessed with so many people who labor on your behalf. Lord, stir each one of us, challenge each one of us. What are you calling us to in our homes? in our church, in our community? What work do you have for us now, Lord? Where are you leading us? May we be a people of prayer who ask you that in the days to come. We pray these things in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen.